Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, and one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions, which is why NetSuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of. Don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com strange. That's netsuite.com strange to get your own KPI checklist. NetSuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, although we are all no doubt familiar with the weird and wonderful creature known as the moose, we'd be willing to bet that many of you have likely not seen one in person. According to the American Wildlife Federation, moose live and move through, quote, the northern region of the United States, from Maine to Washington, throughout Canada, and into Alaska. Now, we have quite a few friends in those areas. When we did an informal poll, only one had seen a real live moose in the wild. Though, she noted, she was very familiar with moose warning signs. No, we don't mean beware of moose, though considering what we're going to discuss, that might be good advice. No, having grown up in Maine, she got used to caution moose crossing signs scattered along the roads and the highways. Before you write in to tell us that you have seen many moose, that you are perhaps a moose yourself with excellent Wi-Fi and some extra time on your hooves, don't. We accept that moose sightings and experiences are largely dependent on region and rurality, a word that we might have made up, and perhaps even on luck. And we also acknowledge that Alaska exists. But today we really want to concentrate on the creature itself. Because moose are weird and wonderful. If we didn't know that they were real, we might suspect that someone had gotten drunk and made them up just for funsies. Those big, expressive muzzles, the skinny legs that don't seem capable of carrying so much animal, the absolute majesty of those velvety antlers that aren't just for show. National Geographic tells us that moose are usually brownish or blackish in color, 
and that they're big, very big. The largest of the deer species, as Geographic explains, with a height up to six feet, and that does not include the antlers. Those can be six feet too, from the tip of one branch to another. It's not surprising then that, depending on the season, a moose can eat up to 75 pounds of food a day. And though moose are vegetarians, you do not want to tangle with one. They have sharp hooves to go along with those wicked-looking antlers. And as many wildlife websites seem very excited to report, moose are considered to be the most dangerous mammal in the United States. That is, in terms of attacks on humans. As Alaska Public Media points out in their state, quote, more humans are hurt by moose every year than by bears. And a vehicle collision with a moose can be deadly. But for now, let's go back to one of the moose's most distinctive features, antlers. Antlers are the purview of male moose, of course, and they actually shed and regrow portions of their majestic head chandeliers every spring. Per ABCY Chicago, this antler shedding is called casting and occurs among moose, elk, and deer. In fact, the bloody, frightening result has come up in more than one of our cryptid stories. Local officials have often chalked up the frightening monsters that folks see in the woods to shedding moose and deer. Speaking of those antlers, moose mostly fight other moose during mating season, but they also defend themselves against predators, which, as Mental Floss points out, includes packs of wolves. Even though moose can weigh up to 1,500 pounds, a wolf pack can take one down. But trust us, a human does not want to be charged by an angry moose, or even an irritated one. Now, back to Maine. We mention Maine not only because, spoiler, this episode takes place there, and as Maine's official website proudly tells us, it's home to the highest moose population in the lower 48 states. We guess they didn't want to tangle with Alaska on that one. But in terms of segues, it's very convenient for us, because today we want to talk to you about a very particular Maine moose. Was it some ghost, a cryptid, an immortal monster? Opinions vary, but we can say that the specter moose of Maine has a long history, a century or more, and has popped up in the state's regional reporting on and off for just as long. The most frequent sightings of the creature occurred in the early 20th century, up through the 1930s or so, though, of course, occasional claims have continued. And what did people see when they saw the specter moose of Maine? A huge moose. The King Kong of Moose, impossibly heavy and tall, with a bright gray or white coat, and the ability to evade all hunters who hoped to catch it as the ultimate prize. So yes, we were interested in learning more. And we think you will be too. So come along, antler queens. We mean strangers. And listen to the origins of this strange tale. What is the specter moose exactly? Perhaps it's just a tall tail, or a normal animal grown impossibly large. How about a cryptid or some sort of forest spirit? Maybe most of the above, depending on who claimed to see the creature and where. As you might imagine, 
Most who spotted the specter moose had reason to be in the woods. Hunters, lumberjacks, and others who made their living in the Maine wilderness. The kind of people, we think, who'd know their way around a forest and not mistake, say, a tree with an owl sitting in it for a giant monster. However, superstition and darkness can add up to quite a story, especially when there are elements of the story that are proven in other separate instances. There have been white moose sighted and even captured, and there have been giant moose that well outweigh the average. But what about a combination of the two? And there's a little more to the tale that makes this ghostly moose singular. It shouldn't be so fast. It shouldn't be so difficult to catch. And it seems to be around quite a lot and for quite a long time. The earliest mention we found came in 1899 in The Plain Dealer in an article with a title that declared, The Spectre Moose, Gray Monster of the Forest, again seen near Lobster Lake, Maine. According to this report, the quote, Great Gray Beast, seems to have been a known entity, even back then, because it makes reference to previous reports. In the span of the early articles we saw, from 1899 to 1904 or so, the moose seems to have shifted color, from gray to white. In the same time period, it also had its good name besmirched, and then had something of a comeback. We'll get into that. So, it seems that in November of 1899, Many hunters in the Lobster Lake area claimed to have seen the unearthly beast, which they swore was around 2,500 pounds in size. Though, as the dealer noted, the average moose taken in the area was in the range of 800 to 900 pounds, and most described this one as gray in color and maybe 15 feet tall, with antlers to match. Not that odd, we know. There is proven documentation of white moose, and very large moose. Maybe this one was a little dirty, and perhaps exaggerated in size by excited town folk. The use of specter seems to have more to do with the moose's coloring, and the difficulty hunters had in sighting it than with any supernatural elements. That makes a lot of sense if you reference an article from 1904, printed in the Hutchinson News. Apparently, a man named John Hildrich, who lived near Lake Lobster, claimed that he'd invented the Spectre Moose story all the way back in 1881, but not necessarily on purpose. Kind of. We'll explain. So, in 1904, John told the Hutchinson News that he'd been back in Lobster Lake one night in 1881 when he saw a great beast in the wilderness. He couldn't believe it. It seemed to be a giant gray moose. He snuck closer to the animal and realized that it was actually, quote, a large gray draft horse. The animal had been roaming for quite a while and had become somewhat wild, so any unnatural sound would put it to flight. And this, together with its resemblance of the moose, prompted me to play a joke on my fellow woodsman. The next day, he told a friend about it, and wouldn't you know it, in no time, the friend himself saw it disappear around the road. Then another person saw it, and another. John explained, By the end of the season, the moose was so big he couldn't get through a tote road without touching his antlers on both sides, and his hoof prints were as large as an army hat. Things eventually started to die down, he said, until another gray moose was spotted, 
and successfully taken by a hunter, even though that was a regular-sized animal and nothing like what John had described, John explained that it gave his story another push. After all, if there was one gray moose out there, then why not another one, a giant one, like the one John had described? So, he said, the specter moose story picked up again, and hunters were determined to catch the giant creature. He told the paper, I know it seems rather sad to give the thing away, but confession is good for the soul. So, strangers, with that bucket of cold water dumped on our spooky heads, it seems the fun is over for us before it really begins. A hundred-year mystery revealed as a fraud just a few minutes into our journey. That is a bit of a letdown. Or it would be. Except for one strange thing. Something we found in the archives makes the 1881 hoax story, at least as an origin point, impossible. The concept of the gray specter moose existed long before John Hildrich ever laid eyes on that draft horse and had his inspiration. A short passage we discovered, buried deep in a century-plus-old article, contains a very important bit of historical information. It's the Plain Dealer piece from 1899. In it, we're told that until that fall, the moose hadn't been seen since 1895. Fair enough, moose live long enough for that to be true. But what about before that? When was that first sighting? No, it wasn't 1881, when the Hildrich hoax allegedly occurred. According to the Plain Dealer, the first sighting was in 1801. And that story was recorded in detail that we don't normally see in such old papers, with the term specter moose used, even back then. According to the Plain Dealer, quote, It was in 1801 that this moose was first seen by Charles Duffy of Old Town, a guide who was cruising around Lobster Lake. Duffy did not get near enough to the monster for a shot, but he gave a detailed description of the animal when he went back to town. Apparently, no one took poor Charles Duffy seriously. Not until a well-to-do Bangor man named John Ross saw the specter moose, too. He was between the Big and Little Lobster Lakes when he spotted it, and apparently people took him seriously, both because he was accompanied by a friend who backed up the story and because, quote, Mr. Ross was no romancer. A second, separate article in the Baltimore Sun also describes the story of Charles Duffy's 1801 sighting of a great gray beast. The townsfolk of 1801 did what the townsfolk of 1899 eventually did. They went out to try and bag that moose. But of course, they had no luck. And then the specter moose disappeared, as was, in our opinion, a pretty smart move. Now, there was one hunter quoted in the 1890s coverage who claimed that he did get a few shots in, but that the moose seemed pretty much unaffected. The most that he could remember was that its gray coat was gleamingly clear in the night. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve Dishavi investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. 
Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses the skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love and the great research that you've come to rely on. So, listen to The Dead Files, wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, we have three major sightings of an impossibly large gray or white moose in the 1800s. 
Maybe the trickster woodsman John Hildrich did make up his specter moose in 1881, as he told the paper. That draft horse detail does seem believable. And perhaps we could even tie the 1899 resurgence to his tall tale, and even those that followed into the 20th century. But how to explain the stories nearly a hundred years before that? And unlike most unprovable local legends, the level of detail, including quotes, seems pretty well documented. And now that we think about it, there's something else, too, that becomes extraordinary with the addition of the 1801 sighting. Now, like any good researchers, we read this tale and we immediately went to Google to ask, how long does Moose live? And the answer is, per Maine's official state website, rarely past 20 years. So, by our count, this article describes a very, very old moose. It's interesting that, even when referencing the 1801 sightings a century before, the 1899 reporters seem to assume that it's still the same moose, which is pretty odd, but we guess they figured that there weren't a lot of giant gray or white moose wandering around. And a Guinness World Record moose that would be. Not just in age. If we take into account its size, the largest that was ever recorded in Maine was a little over 1,700 pounds. It's amazing. And when we add in the white or gray coloring, this is one rare beast and a special one. White or gray moose do exist, both due to albinism and what scientists suspect is leukism, a term that means basically a partial lack of pigmentation. Canadian Geographic reported that this might appear due to a recessive gene more evident in limited breeding areas that is distinct from albinism, and the Washington Post also pointed toward a possible nutritional deficiency, but really, it's all still being studied. The big takeaway, as the Washington Post notes, is that a white moose in a habitat not designed for white moose is going to be a big target for predators, human and animals alike. That makes the whole specter moose story all the more marvelous, because that creature would be so easy, theoretically, to catch. That's part of the reason some Canadian authorities declared it illegal to shoot white moose back in 2006. According to the Global News, they're most often spotted in Ontario, where the protections were most needed. It's about 876 miles from Ontario to Bangor, Maine. Not a short hike, but as we said, moose are spread across the northern U.S. and into Canada. And a white moose can, theoretically, show up just about anywhere. So, in 1909, the Buffalo Courier offered up this theory, using that, quote, From all descriptions, this moose is like those of British Columbia, and some may think he may have wandered into Maine from some distant point over the border. Of course, that did not answer the other big question. When? In 1901? 1899? Or perhaps a whole century before? But back in the early 1900s, there were no protections for any moose, much less rare specimens who might bring a high price. So notwithstanding the lifespan problem, it would be pretty impressive for a giant gray or white moose to wander around for a century or more and manage to not get shot. Could people be seeing son of Spectre Moose and grandson of Spectre Moose and so on? Sure, 
but there are some who have other ideas. Now, we mentioned that much of the local news coverage of our ghostly moose came in the first quarter of the 20th century, give or take. And we noticed that reporters tended to focus on the size of the creature and its supposed wiliness and how much it would be worth mounted. As the Chicago Livestock World noted in 1909, about $1,500. In today's money, that's around $50,000. There was plenty of argument over whether the creature was a myth, but no discussion of the supernatural. People were too focused on the money. But perhaps those undercurrents began to appear when in 1911 or so, the Quad City Times reported that a New York hunter encountered the moose in a previous season. That hunter had apparently fired, quote, 38 caliber mushroom slugs into the moose. That's the second mention we've seen of a shooting, but unlike the first account, we're graced here with the moose's reaction. To summarize, the moose did not like it. The Times reported that, quote, the moose charged and there, being no tree handy that was small enough to climb, the hunter took refuge in a bear cave under a ledge remaining there for an hour or more until the moose had business elsewhere. And just a little later, the same great moose was also accused of, quote, following a man eight miles as he rode, we imagine quite quickly, on a bicycle. That's the man, not the moose. That kind of determination, that willingness to track humans, that lack of fear... Perhaps that was the start of the preternatural elements of the tale. Then, in 1938, an article appeared in the Reno Gazette stating that, after an apparent break, the Spectre Moose was back. The reporter explains, Now he is stalking again, this time along the west branch of the Penobscot River. Always hunters get near enough to be appalled by this gigantic beast, but seldom in range for an effective shot. Not only his ghostly hue, but his keen scent, cute hearing, and seemingly magical power of instant disappearance have built up the legend of a wraith. Sightings become more interesting at this point. Not the least because, as the Bangor Daily News points out, moose hunting became illegal in the United States in 1935 because of the decimation of the moose population. Hunting wasn't reinstated until 1980, and then with tightened restrictions and limited permits. In that period between, the specter moose couldn't be hunted, not legally. So perhaps it's not a surprise that its appearance brought about a little less avarice and a little more awe. Sightings have continued on and off since then. Occasionally, reporters have tracked down Mr. Lauren Coleman, one of the world's foremost experts in cryptozoology. You'll no doubt recognize his name from previous episodes. And conveniently for Maine journalists, he's a local, a resident of Portland. He's also particularly interested in his state's own strange creatures. So, does he think that this giant white moose, this fearless thing, which seems to have lived an impossibly long time, is a cryptid, or perhaps some other supernatural creature. Well, according to the Sun Journal, no, not exactly. Lauren Coleman doesn't take a strong stance on the issue, but he told the paper in 2007 that, quote, 
He thinks hunters are maybe seeing albino game, but there might also be something else going on. He told the paper, I remain very open-minded, but he also added that he was 98% sure that it's not a new species. Lauren Coleman also noted that he did receive reports of giant moose through his website and that one had come in just the summer before the article ran. On the whole of it, we think we land where Lauren Coleman does. After all, there's precedence for white moose and for giant moose. So a wholly new cryptid that is what amounts to a very wily, very large white moose seems a little redundant. Why has it been seen for so long and remained so huge and fast and clever in each telling? That we're not so sure of. Hunter's tales may be like fishermen's tales, with the game growing bigger in every telling. But the idea of an impossibly large, impossibly old creature evading capture for an impossibly long time? We're more than willing to listen to that story, tall tale or not. And the forest is a strange place, isn't it? The parts we have left, at least. Wild and full of potential. And perhaps a place where a great and mysterious thing might hide. Maybe for longer than any of us might imagine. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers, One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you'll get more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes a month, two monthly giveaways, blog posts, and occasional live streams, all for $5. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in our show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.